You're listening to a sermon by Covenant Church. Hey, I want to invite you to turn to Luke 10. And it's page, if you turn to eight, page 868, you see the beginning, Luke 10. The next page is the passage. There's Bibles underneath the seats. And while you're bringing out those Bibles, I want to mention one area of thanksgiving and just lead us in a brief prayer of thanksgiving. Last week, I had the elders stand up, said we're doing this elders retreat Thursday night through uh, yesterday afternoon, Thursday night to Saturday. And I asked the church of Jesus here to pray for us. Would you pray for that time? And I just want to report back. We processed things that were hard in the past that had happened. There was tears, laughter and joking, dreaming together, praying for each other, uh, encouraging each other, dreaming and praying about the future. We're really excited about what we believe is the vision the Lord is calling us to as a church. You're going to hear a lot of vision this year. Uh, We believe that God has given us some things to go after. It was just really encouraging. God truly met us. And I, I didn't even know this, but you've, uh, you met a couple of friends of ours. Covenant has some new friends. Kevin Cauley preached two weeks ago. Josh Curry preached in May. They're both connected to the frontline network of churches. Josh planted, actually, the first church, and that became a network. It's much like Liberty. Well, the downtown congregation, uh, 1,700 people, prayed for this elders retreat last week. It was actually the week we were praying. That downtown con- uh, congregation, uh, Kevin had reached out, hey, I'm leading us to prayer. We're going to pray for some Liberty Church plants. We'd love to pray for Covenant. What can, you pr- what can we pray for Covenant? And uh, sometimes they all pray out loud at the same time. That's just how they do it. Hey, for the next 45 seconds, we're going to lift up these churches and pray for Covenant's elders retreat. And we were really prayed for and you also prayed. So can we just give thanks to the Lord for that? And I, yeah, amen. Let's, allow me to just lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving. Lord, we thank you. You not only invite us to pray, command us to pray, but you hear our prayers. And uh, we just thank you for how you met us on the elders retreat and the ways that you showed up by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that uh, this other church prayed for us, and we want to also do that. So we, we want to pray for area churches and pray that you continue to bless their leadership and that they would grow in Jesus. We pray you bless the Barn Church. Uh, we pray you bless Park Church. We pray for the new campus again. Uh, We prayed for this this past year, but we pray again for the new campus of Living Hope. We ask that many people would meet Jesus in these places. We pray that they would grow in Jesus, be blessed in Jesus. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for our friends and partners and frontline. We thank you for their prayers for us. We just give you thanks for what you are doing in the leadership community of the elders We thank you for all the men and women in leadership community training, the 15-month training, and all the deacons and deaconesses and elders and elder candidates. And uh, uh, it's like 40 women in training who serve in various capacities. 
We pray that you would continue to bless that leadership training, continue to uh, grow us as servants of Jesus, and grant us vision and lead us in the future. And we humbly ask this and boldly ask it with thanksgiving, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Josh shared that we're thinking about a lot of different ways to serve. We've talked this month about how we're called to be a loving church, a praying church, and yes, a community of Jesus serves. A community of Jesus serves. We're called to be a serving people. This passage, this starts, a guy stands up to test Jesus. If you read the Gospels at all, that usually doesn't go well. When someone's like, hey, you know, they don't know who they're dealing with here. A guy's going to stand up and say, hey, I'm going to try to kind of trip him up in his words. Jesus in love flips the script, changes the dynamic, asks him some questions, and it actually gives him something to meditate on the way home to change his life. Listen to the Word of God, and this is what we're going to do. We're just going to walk through the passage first. I'll read it and comment on it as we go, and then I'll ask four questions at the end so we can apply this to our lives individually and as a community. So here we go. Luke 10, starting with verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Pause there for a second. Lawyer means expert in the Old Testament scriptures. So he's an expert in the Old Testament law. He, this is a white-collar kind of a thing. He's a respected leader in his community. He's supposed to know his stuff. And he's, he's testing Jesus. It was like feigned respect. Teacher, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Which can we just admit that's a big question. And what could be more important? What must I do to inherit eternal life with God? Jesus kicks it back to the expert in the Old Testament law. And he quotes the Old Testament law back to Jesus. Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19. Well, this is one way to sum it, up, sum it up. You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your strength, with your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Just love God perfectly all the time in every way. Love your neighbor as yourself all the time in every way with the same humility, service, kindness, creativity you would want. Just love God perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly. That's all, right? Who would not? Jesus says you answered correct, correctly, do this and you will live. And there could have been different responses. The expert in the law could have said, I guess I'm going to need some help. I guess I'm going to need some forgiveness. I guess this is actually kind of challenging, convicting. The perfect law of God, okay, it's described in the New Testament, as a loving mirror that's when it's held up, we see ourselves for who we are. Like a mirror shows you the dirt on your face, 
this requirement from God actually shows us of our own need for mercy. This guy could have said, you know what? I actually need to think about the help I need, forgiveness I need, the change I need. But he goes a different direction. Desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Um, surely, Jesus, you're going to be reasonable here, right? Is it, should I give me a length of rope and I put it in my front yard and kind of a, a circumference here? Like, what are we really dealing with here? And he goes in a self-justifying question. And it's a fair question and in some ways. Look, the ancient world had its share of poor, single-parent homes. People died. Broken families. The ancient world had addiction, unemployment, catastrophe. People in their country who are not from their country and who are like, how, how do I adjust here with this language, with the, this culture? People who need help on all different kind of levels. And the expert in the law says, what exactly are we talking about here? Who is my neighbor? Make it reasonable, Jesus. Would you please make it reasonable? Could you clear it up? I mean, what really are we talking about here? It's kind of overwhelming. And Jesus answers with a story. This is what a, a parable is. A parable is a story with a point. And in answering this man's question, who is my neighbor? Jesus launches in. Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This actually happened. The road, 17 miles long, four, almost 4,000 feet in elevation change. It'd be a fun uh, road to bike. You get to go downhill, okay? Uh, almost 4,000 feet. The nickname for this road in the ancient world was the Bloody Way because people would hide out in these caves and cliffs, and it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. They would, it was a place where people could hide out, rob people, attack people, and then get away. Um, the ancient historian Josephus, a Roman historian, talks about traveling with armed guards on this road, okay, for a reason. Jesus is basically painting a picture that, as he tells the story, people are thinking, yeah, that happens. It's as if he said, in a dangerous neighborhood at 2.30 a.m., this is what happened to the man. And um, let's not miss the horror of this. Jesus describes a man who's not just robbed. Uh, he's stripped. He's humiliated. And he's just left. So now this, this guy is just out in the middle of nowhere. Think how humiliating, horrifying that would be. How traumatizing. And he's there. What happens next? Verse 31. Now by chance a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. What's Jesus doing here? Well, the, the priest and the Levite, they would know the law. They would know the Old Testament commands. The priest would actually be the one teaching the people the commands. And this actually would be kind of startling and maybe even offending to the original hearers of this. Jesus, it, it might have, okay, look, there's commands in the Old Testament that instruct a priest not to be near a dead body because then he couldn't do his priest stuff in the temple. He's ceremonially unclean and he has to go through this purification, right? It could be that going on. But Jesus is obviously saying, and that's going to be the flow of the story, these guys missed it. They missed it. They had the law, but looked for a way to walk around and away from the call of God. The Levite, too, and this is interesting, most experts in the law were Levites. The Levites were a tribe. That's where the worship leaders came from. They would also know the implications of the heart of God. He also walks to the other side. And they, there's a repetition, do you notice, as Jesus tells us, of they saw. They saw, went to the other side. He saw, went to the other side of the road. The Samaritan sees and has compassion now, this is what's going on with the Samaritan. Just a, a little background here. A different ethnicity. A different, okay, ethnically mixed with the nations. They were former Israelites, but who actually intermarried with other nations. Different religiously, different now ethnically, and this appears in the New Testament. Okay, so Samaritans and Israelites not only didn't get along, they didn't talk. Jesus has a very famous conversation with a woman by a well. And she at one point says, how are we having this conversation as you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan? She does like time out. How is this conversation happening right now? And the disciples come back and that's in John 4. Uh, they're like, what's happening right now and why are we hanging out here okay later in the new testament when people are thinking about names to call jesus and trying to attack who he is and his character they call him all kinds of things you're demon possessed you know what else they call him you know what you are you're a samaritan that's what we're dealing with here and the samaritan look at what he does okay this took a day, uh, destroy, destroys his schedule, puts himself at risk, stays there in the place where this guy had gotten attacked, becomes involved with his hands, his animals now, not his transportation, it's a transportation of the wounded man. He cares for him, oil and wine, takes him to an end, spends that evening taking care of him, and then the next day slaps down the ancient equivalent of a credit card. A denarius is a day's wage. So do that in your head for you. Two days of your paycheck. 
And he slaps it down, says, I'm paying up front and I'll be back. He makes a promise. He gets personally involved. So we're talking about uh, actual money here and actual commitment uh, to come back and, hey, the expenses that you incur, feeding this man, carrying this man, I'm going to come back. That's what happened. And let's not miss the fact that the Samaritan crossed boundaries, crossed an ethic boundary, a religious boundary, a personal comfort and convenience boundary. I mean, we can think of every boundary there is, right? And cross all those boundaries and took care of the guy. What would have been like? Well, scary, unpleasant, costly. Jesus then tells, asks the lawyer a different question. Okay, the, the first question was, okay, so who's my neighbor? Who are we talking about here? Jesus, in love, puts a different question to the lawyer. Look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he, that is the lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It's a different question. Not who is, okay, define neighbors, define what I got to do. In that story, I just told you who was a neighbor. The one who showed mercy. And Jesus simply says, no, you go and do that. You go and do that. Israelites, by the way, they would think of Leviticus 19, love your neighbors yourself. Our fellow Israelites are our neighbors. And Jesus just, ex he just expands it, blows apart that mental framework and leaves the guy thinking, basically, how can you be a neighbor? Who can you be a neighbor to? Jesus acts, by the way, we know this from other passages, and it's the logic of this passage here. Jesus acts like this is a calling for Christians. This is a calling for Christians to serve and love and be neighborly. To serve and love, to go and do likewise. Okay, so four questions. Four questions. The first is this, just to, to apply this. Who are you in the story? Who are we? Can we admit that there's a piece of us that is like the lawyer? There's a desire, a deep, sinful, dark desire to justify ourselves. Uh, that there's sin in us, one of the ways it expresses itself. We want to justify that what we're doing now is okay and the way we'd like to live and the, the stuff we'd continue to like, you know, I want to keep on doing this, and I don't want to have to start doing that. And there's a self-justifying tendency. Can we admit there's a piece of us that actually wants to walk on the other side of the road, like the priest and the Levite? And if we can have different reasons to do that, man, that would be awesome. Uh, the call to serve people, the call to help people, the call to like, and service can take many different forms. It's like, hey, I want to do children's ministry here so the single mom can worship. It's also loving people that God puts in our lives and actually looking for ways to love people and serve people in the world as a community of Jesus together and also individually. But can we admit too, look, we'd rather specialize this. Can we please make this job 
the job of some special team at the church. Could the government please do this so I could walk to the other side? Could the nonprofits do this so I can walk to the other side? Could an agency do this? Um, can we? Can I actually change the conversation and talk about people who abuse the system and take advantage of the nonprofits? And I gave that guy money and he bought beer with it. And and can we just? Can I think and meditate about that kind of stuff? Because then I feel like I can do less. Can we admit that there's a part of that sin in us? One of the manifestations is a self-justifying tendency. And let's not forget what the first question was. How do we inherit eternal life? Now, uh, we can see ourselves in the lawyer, the priest, the Levite. There's also another person we should see ourselves in when you really reflect on like the whole Bible and the scriptures. And what I mean is the guy on the road the guy in the road. A gospel self-understanding, and I want to explain this, make this really clear, both for Christians in the room, no matter how long you've been a Christian, but you really need to know this if you're exploring Christianity. Like a gospel self-understanding, we should actually see ourselves as the guy in need. Uh, sin has victimized us all, and this beautiful yet broken world has hurt us and people have hurt us. And there's trauma from that. We're also victimizers of other people. There's ways that you have lied, cheated, stole, uh, lusted, gotten out of accepting, tried to get out of accepting responsibility for what you really should accept responsibility for. And any serious reflection on, hey, love God and love people puts you in a place where you realize you need mercy. You can't do this stuff. And Jesus, look, Jesus is the ultimate neighbor who came at his own expense, who sped himself to love us, save us, forgive us, and heal us. And that's the gospel. And we couldn't demand it of Jesus or say we deserved it because we've like left God, rejected God, uh, tend and sin to want to keep God far away. God did that, reached out in love, and sent a Savior into this world. And that's the gospel. And a, a gospel self-understanding is like actually being a Christian is, uh, here's a prereq for being a Christian. I like to say this in Discovering Covenant. And one of our, uh, the first membership vow is to admit our need that we have sin. And the second membership vow is resting and receiving who Jesus is for us in the gospel. So like this is meant to kind of ex expand our boundaries of what love and service is. It's meant to challenge us. And also, uh, here's the thing, those who have received mercy have the easiest time giving it. Those who have received loving, real, tan the tangible grace of God learn God's heart and tend to want to give that out. Jesus lovingly gives the lawyer a test. He knows he he's will, will fail. Why does Jesus want to make this guy realize he can't do it? The mercy God requires and asks of us points us to the mercy God provides. 
I want to say that again, so just so you don't miss it. The mercy God asks of us, hey, all you have to do is just love your neighbor as yourself every day, all the time. The mercy God requires of us points us to the mercy that God provides to us in the person and work of Jesus. Those who realize they need the gospel realize like in the gospel, we were hungry, God fed us. We were in prison, God frees us. We were sick, God is healing us. And one day we'll all be healed. We'll have new bodies. That's a gospel self-understanding. So like, can we, when we pray to end uh, reflection on this passage, I'm gonna invite you to like name sins and receive the mercy of God. Because that's how the gospel works. And it's really great news. Second question. What are your reasons for wanting to walk on the other side of the road? What are your reasons for wanting to walk on the other side of the road? Okay, if Jesus died for our sins, let, let's admit we have them. I'm going to give you political reasons, personal reasons, pious reasons to walk on the other side of the road. Three Ps, that's deeply blesses some people when I make all the letters start at the same time. Some of you love that, so this is my gift to you. There you go. Uh, political reasons. And this is obviously a terribly polarized moment. The left tends to look to big government to bring relief to the poor. The right tends to look to big business and the free market. Do we look to big government, big business? I actually don't want to comment on that. But I actually want to biblically mock the, uh, the idol underneath both of those expressions of at the end of the day, there's a tendency of the sinful human heart, and I'm saying we, not pointing at anybody else, to want to do what we want to do. Instead of submitting to God's wisdom and God's world, we want to do what we want to do. And if there's a way to get us out of loving people and serving people, that would be awesome. Uh, can we admit, okay, this is a Tim Keller insight that's decades old. The deacons have been training, and we have new deacons that are training, and that's very exciting. They uh, have been reading Ministries of Mercy this summer. And Tim Keller makes this comment decades ago, the left tends to want to hold people accountable for their wealth, okay? The left is like, let's hold people accountable with what they do with money. But in personal mor morality, let's say sexuality, for instance, people are autonomous. Accountable with money, autonomous, do whatever you want to do with sexuality, for instance. The right, it's the opposite. Hey, let's hold people accountable for their morality and there's... Uh, sexual stuff. But you know what? With money, we want to be completely autonomous. And there's common idols behind both. Um, the Bible says it really simple, simply. Instead of wanting to listen to God, we want to be God. Instead of wanting to uh, submit to God and listen to God, let God define reality and show us in his goodness, his ways, and his commands to live in his world and be reconciled with him and with people. We want to do what we want to do. And there's different expressions of that. But the idol is, I want to define, I want to live my life my way. 
with money, with morality, really in every way. Uh, there's radical individualism actually behind both of those things in a way that like, this is just an insane moment culturally where we act like, hey, all you need to live in the outside world with people, with society and community is to look within. And there's good things within, there's also really dark things in all of us. Uh, hey, we could talk government reform. I'm obviously not picking a team, welfare reform, policy reform. How about this? How about we start with reforming our own hearts and lives? How, how about this? How about we start here? Let this truth sink in. We will all be accountable to the living God for how you will answer for your life to the living God. That's why the gospel's really good news. There's a way to stand before the living God and not be afraid, clinging to all his goodness to us in Christ. But let's let that sober us. Those are the political reasons, the personal reasons, personal reasons. Um, did you notice what the Samaritan didn't do? There's the guy in the road. The guy wasn't like, hey, were you drunk? Were you making wise choices on this Saturday night in, uh, on the road to Jericho? Did you not know this was dangerous? Have you ever had some misdemeanors? Did you work on your high school education? How did you get to the spot? Did you have dreams from your life? Are there bad family patterns? Have you gotten in trouble before? Do you have a temper problem? Are you the deserving poor? Um, Jonathan Edwards has this, uh, I'm going to paraphrase him, famous pastor in the early America, basically said, we want to help the deserving poor as if some of the trouble we are in is not our own fault, as if we haven't made mistakes, had bad patterns, done things that were stupid. Um, how about just help people? And maybe, like us, some of the situations they're in, they're a complete victim. Some of the situations that are in, they're a hand, they had a hand in. Jonathan Edwards is like, so what? Reflect on the gospel. Um, sometimes you might help people who do the wrong thing. Uh, I lived in Philadelphia for a long time and more often had water bottles and snack bars to give out rather than cash. But also, which would you rather err on? Would you rather hey, people don't do the right thing with the, the change or the money you give them, then be so afraid of that, I'd rather be taken advantage of once in a while. So what? So what? Let's wrestle with the personal reasons, the attitude stuff. Uh, how about this? There can be other pious reasons to actually guard involvement, guard holding back service, your presence, your heart to serve. Um, there are all different kinds of apparently pious reasons. This guy did involve some cash. People are uncomfortable when churches talk about money, 
here's the tough thing though, to be faithful to, to like preach through the New Testament, you have to talk about money. Because Jesus does all the time. Jesus tells parables that have that point. Jesus says things like where your treasure is, there your heart is too. Jesus says stuff like you can't have God and money uh, both as two different masters. You're going to have a number one. You're going to have a number one. You got to decide who it is. So like be faithful to the words of Jesus. We got to talk about it. Are there some scandals? Are there some TV preachers that make me really embarrassed for the church? Yes. Make me really uncomfortable? Yes. Have the vast, vast, vast majority of Christian churches in history done awesome things and served the poor and started orphanages and all this good stuff happens? Yes. Has there ever been a force in the history of the world that's done so much good as the church of Jesus Christ? This one um, historian makes a strong case. You know where orphanages came from? Christians were the first people in history to have orphanages. Um, let's not, the church needs to own its scandals and the requirement to not be greedy or in it for money is a requirement of an elder or a pastor. Uh, and also, uh, let's not miss what's still the invitation of scripture and not miss the good stuff that Jesus does. And yeah, let's have a heart to do good to others in general. Let's have a heart to serve others. Let's have gospel-shaped hearts to do gospel things with our money. Let's have gospel-shaped hearts to bless and pray and serve. Uh, third question, do we believe the whole Bible? And I, just a brief history lesson, real quick. Um, in 1911, a document was written called The Fundamentals of Christianity. It's where we get the term fundamentalist. There was controversy going on because there are some people saying, look, we no longer believe uh, because of these modern times and all these miracles. We no longer believe that the Bible is actually the Word of God. And Jesus doesn't have to be fully God and fully man. We can admit he did some good stuff. He was a good teacher. But look, we have a different view of what Jesus did on the cross. It's basically a good example. Let's de-emphasize the sin stuff. And they really changed, were changing the message of Christianity, but then saying, look, but we can still do good in the world. We can like start, build hospitals and do social work and have orphanages. And the, the, fundament, the folks who wrote the fundamentals of Christianity were actually like, look, that version of Christianity is no longer Christianity, okay? That's actually a different thing. And there are fundamentals of Christianity. There are precious truths that the church needs to hang out onto. But what tended to happen to America when people talk about loving the poor and things like that, people who believe the Bible was like, hey, you sound like those liberal folks who are the liberal Christians who seem to uh, have jumped the rails on some important stuff and want to do the implications of the gospel of loving the poor and have forgotten these other things. And there became like a weird divide, weird divide in American church. These folks over here who are doing the, the social stuff and some churches in America acted like that was optional stuff. Uh, let's go to Luke 4. So this is Jesus explaining his mission in his hometown. 
Let's bring this passage up. He has the prophet Isaiah, the scroll handed to him, and he flips to this section and describes his ministry in this way. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus did mean, okay, in other places he talks about the poor in spirit and the guilty. He also, you know what he means when he says the poor? The poor. He's also just saying the poor. And he's starting a movement in a church that's actually going to bless the poor. And it's going to bless the poor in history. And this is especially good news for the poor. And that take the Bible seriously and God have God's heart when we look at the world, we've got to love the poor. And do it for us. Uh, we live by, did you know this? The poorest big city in America. I know Philadelphia freaks many of you out, and I get it, I live there. And also, given where we live, let's celebrate those partnerships, let's look to new partnerships, let's be a blessing to this place, and also, we realized uh, there are poor here. And there's areas of our county, and there's stuff going on right in our town. There's ways to love, and let's have God's heart. Uh, that's all I'm saying. And this is, this is so God's heart that uh, this is why a mercy lifestyle is evidential. Jesus acts like receiving his mercy will grow in you a heart to serve and grow in you a heart uh, to meet needs, which is why he says, look, here's a picture of heaven. Jesus says, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see all that? We never saw you hungry, thirsty. We had, And Jesus says, truly, truly, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. A mercy lifestyle is evidential that you really get it. Uh, look at the invitation to receive the mercy of God and yes, display his heart to the world. And, and friends, that's what we're called to. And this is the fourth question. Uh, what does it look like for you to go and do likewise? What does it look like for you to go and do likewise? And I, I want to give you freedom and invitation to think in a lot of different ways, okay? And look, it takes work to figure this out. You know how a journey starts? With a single step. That's why I like that this out here is like the next step center. Take the next step. Some of you, when we go to prayer, there's like a, a distant family member that you, like, you could help and serve. Some of, it's, some of you might be thinking about an actual neighbor who's really lonely. Maybe he's shut in, and you can take the time to talk to him, and that would be a blessing. That would be visiting. And Jesus says, you've done it to one of the least of these. You've done it to me. Uh, some of you, look, you have gifts and abilities to serve. Mowing the grass at the shelter for women who are victims of domestic violence 
is being a neighbor. Serving at Carversville Farm, uh, I asked Kate Hodakowski for, there's a lot being organized right now, okay? But there's ways to serve within the church, the children's ministry, countless different ways. There's ways to serve in the community and in the region. What would it look like to adjust your life somehow? Take some steps to adjust your life so you can just be a blessing. I asked Kate Hodkowski, who said, by the way, hanging out in the Next Step Center. She's our care coordinator. I was like, brainstorm with me. What are some things I could mention? Here's just, she just riffed on this a little bit. Hospitality. Hey, we have a hot Thanksgiving dinner that actually needs some leadership. We need some leadership for this. Um, we need more volunteers to run this. Care team volunteers. The hospitality ministry, you know what it is? It's hospitality when there's a funeral here. It's helping people who are grieving. Uh, soup ministry, meals ministry, different neighbor, regional contacts and abilities. There's programs out there. It doesn't even have to be a Christian thing. If it's doing good in the world, help it with the love of Jesus in your heart. That honors God. Uh, brainstorm with your phase of life. Are you recently retired? Are you recently graduated from high school? Are you a high school kid, a junior high kid? At this phase of your life, in this station of your life, what are opportunities that the Lord would open up for you to go and do likewise? And yes, we do that as a community together. Uh, Jesus actually calls us to be the body of Christ, which think about the power of this. Think about what this means. That means actually when we go in these places, we're the hug of Jesus. We're the tears of Jesus. We're the kind smile, Jesus. We share the words of Jesus, the hope of Jesus. What a privilege and a joy. And this is what Jesus is doing in the, in the world and what a privilege to be a part of it. Jesus doesn't just save us and then bench us. He saves us and he sends us. So allow me to pray for us. And let's uh, bring this to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray for these friends to know the mercy of God for them. And I pray that uh, for brothers and sisters here to receive your mercy, to believe the gospel. Lord, we pray that we'd believe the gospel today, that we'd have gospel self-understanding. We'd see our need. We'd see our self-justifying, our desire to walk away. It's like silently name your hard-heartedness before God. I invite you to even be praying as I'm praying. Name that attitude. If there is an attitude you are convicted of, name it before the Lord. And also receive his mercy. Lord, I just pray that your mercy, the mercy that you have come to give us in Jesus, we'd receive it right now. And Lord, where you call us to go and do likewise, lead us. Um, Lord, lead us as a community. Jesus, lead us as a church uh, to partnerships with vision. Thank you for all the partners we have and lead us individually. Uh, Lord, even now, 
receive the prayers. Uh, I challenge you now to just pray silently about a person or an opportunity that the Lord's put before you. Lord, receive our prayers and our praise, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to connect with us on our website at covenantsoilstown.org to watch live on Sunday mornings. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook. 